All right, part two, Eric Carter. We just had a quick little break instead of me coming back in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm already here. So um, there we go. So what was we... Uh, we're going to get into uh, state of BMX racing right now. Yeah, we were we were going to be talking about uh, the the state of the, the BMX stuff. And, and um, you know, me and you had talked about a little bit about the state of the union as far as bike sales go and how, you know, we were... Touching on interbike and mm-hmm. uh, saturation and of saturation and stuff and and you know the comments are you know BMX has been dead in interbike for a lot of years and yeah that's true you know it, it has the BMX has has continually dwindled for years um, but uh, you know I think uh, one of the things I see from the outside looking in is um you know and everybody talks about this but everybody is on. Uh, and you said there was a guy that, that talked about it the other day. Tim Kniep. I'm sure everyone, a lot of people listen to this or have seen the stuff Timmy uh, posted around Facebook the last couple of days. He actually just put a video out today, a, a recording, which will be probably be a couple of days ago when you, by the time you read this. But he's kind of hit on a lot of points on the, uh, you know, we t- uh, as we all talk about on podcasts, you know, the 150 bike frame companies there is, right. garage bands and, and stuff and <laughs> saturation and everybody on bro downs and sponsorships and co-sponsorships and everyone's got a team and right. uh, so we just, yeah, I wanted That's, to... Yeah, uh, and I, I've been saying this for, for a while now at the local track and, uh, you know, when we hang out, I, I see Redbone there. Uh, I talk with Randy Lawrence and I talk with uh, Dylan Reader's dad. I talk with Ruben. I talk with Fingers. A couple of guys that I talk with, local dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always, you know, I always say like, Everybody wants to, everybody, it's not that everybody, not just that everybody wants a deal, right? Like, so everybody wanting a deal is is part of the problem, but there's so many of these bike companies that don't have, in, the, the problem is their intention with their bike company isn't to be a real bike company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the problem is their intention is I'm going to make 20 frames, I'm going to... Uh, 10 of them are going to be free for, you know, these guys that, you know, these five kids. Mm -hmm. And then the other 10, we're going to sell those at a discounted price. And then we're going to have a team. Mm -hmm. And that way we don't have to pay for frames. You know, the, 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 the 10 of the 20 that we sold cover our cost on the frames. So we get free frames. Mm -hmm. I get it. Right. You save money Mm -hmm. and you save, you save a little bit of money. Um, the problem that they that they don't realize those are the same people that are complaining that the sport's dying and there's no sponsorship and there's all these different things right you're taking money when you do that you're taking a sale away from the companies that are really were really committed to mm-hmm. actually supporting the sport mm-hmm. companies like redline they do it as a business they run it as a business they have uh, they have to answer to budgets. They got to turn lights on. They have employees. They have all these things. Little Johnny's dad is a landscaper, or uh, you know, he's got a construction company. Mm-hmm. He's got expendable income. He really doesn't even need a deal on the frames, but he just wants to get a deal on the frames or get frames for free. Right. But what little Johnny's dad doesn't realize is he's literally because there's there's you know. 50 little Johnny dads, mm-hmm. they're literally chopping the sport off at the legs. Mm-hmm. They would be better off to pay full retail or a discounted price with a cofactory program if there was 10 
real bike companies mm -hmm. that are actually businesses, mm -hmm. the sport would be better off. How could, could, I mean, I listened to the, I read the threads and Timmy, like I said, really lit a fire a couple of days ago with his that, post. Did he say the same thing? Kind of said the same thing. Yeah, 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 it. yeah. And, um, you know, he went really more into details, value of pros and, and, right. uh, but yeah, he really went into it. And, um, um, is there any way to police that? Can you shut little, you know, cause a few people said like, well, Gary Turner stopped, started in, in his back, you know, in, in his garage with a, with a welder and. Banged yep. out some frames and look where, where it got him and continues, you know, uh, all these years later. Um, somebody at the door. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. We will pause that. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. There was someone at the door. But, uh, yeah, policing. Um, I don't, uh, you know, it go, I, you know, you hate to tell people that are, you know, it's entrepreneurial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how you could police that. I don't know if it's even good to police it, mm -hmm. but I, I, I guess what I would say is, you know, to, to the, to the people, to the, to the guy, the men and women that are starting bike companies on the goal of, we're going to do 20 frames mm -hmm. and we're going to sell 10 to cover our cost on the frames. If that's your goal for your bike company, just think about you. You know, for the the extra money that you're going to spend, your sport that you're committed to, and you spend all this money annually traveling all over, chasing points at nationals and regionals and all that kind of stuff. Your sport's going to be better for it if you don't do your little twenty frame order. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be better. Let the businesses. You know, grow, they're not going to, but that would be that would be the the way you would do it. I don't see how you could police um, hundred garage pounds. Yeah, I don't know how you would do that. You would, I mean, what you did say, which which I when was talking in Paris, which uh, really made sense to me, it was like if there were only you know like five ten you know GT Haro Hyper, right. um, you know Chase, just you know ten big brands, you know continuing to do their thing, right. Obviously, their sales would be better, which means they could put more money back in the sport for sponsorship, for you know, TV packages, whatever. That's exactly and, uh, right. You know, paying the pros more, just kind of you know, reinvested in the in the sport as they did in the nineties, right? I can yeah. I can tell you, you know, when Maris was talking about how much he was offered, we were one of the companies that was offering Maris. We were trying to get Maris to come ride for Hyper, mm -hmm. um, but from a financial standpoint. You know, when when I told Clay what he was asking, you know, Clay basically was like, "Do you have any idea how our how much our sales are?" Like, mm -hmm. it, the 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 math, it wasn't even close. Right, just to make sense. It was. It literally. It would. It would have been a deal where Clay would have just basically said, "I'm just going to take money out of my personal bank account, right? Because I like this guy, yeah, and I'm going to put him on our program because there's." Zero. It mm -hmm. made zero financial sense, mm -hmm. and it's the same with. And we we were we looked at getting Connor Fields because that actually we thought could wow that could make that could make some sense. Yeah, that, he's an American guy. We're a Walmart brand. He won the Olympics. There's there's a lot to go there. Mm -hmm. But dude, that that got to a level where me and Clay were just like, oh, right, yeah, these yeah. guys are crazy. Right, that makes sense. We, there's no way we're gonna get this money out of here. Right. Um. So. Um, I'll let that helicopter cruise over. But uh, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, I, I, it's a, it's hard, right? Because you never know if one company is going to be the next GT. Mm-hmm. You're right. Gary Turner did start in his garage and do it. Um, it was a little bit different time. Um, but um, I think he had a goal to grow his bike company into a real bike company. I don't think a lot of the guys do now. I don't think they're really trying to grow their bike company right. into a real bike company. Um, but I, I think that is a huge problem that I don't know a solution to. I wish there was. I mean, I guess basically the, the deal would be is how do you incentivize people not to do that? You're that's that, really that, tough. Into yeah, how do you incentivize them? To, like people not trying, trying to tell somebody not to eat, you know, right. be healthy if they don't really want to, you know? Right. So, I mean, it would be great if, um, I mean, I guess you could maybe if USA BMX was to really reward um, their teams, mm-hmm. the, the team sheets. Change their structure a little bit. Change their structure yeah. so that, it, you know, you have to, you, you know, you, you to go for the big prizes and pay deep down into that Mm -hmm. you have to be your team has to be on bikes that are producing x amount of frames per year Mm -hmm. you know it's all about incentivizing right yeah yeah that's how you spur people to do stuff you can't just tell them you have to incentivize them. and i don't think they do well they don't do that i was you know just again we'll go back to the um the bike show threads that were going on last night and you know a lot of people at usa bmx and a lot of people have said it you know that the grands will maybe turn into the the racing the bmx racing of kind of the, what you guys are for the Ciata, right. where the grands will go to the grands just not not just for the grands but to kind of showcase their their product and That's and not- stuff like that and i looked at gork um one of his posts came on my thread and he's like let's get more in let's get more in the building let's turn this into the Kind of, kind of the, um, um, you know, the the, yeah. the, the, the inner bike race. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you'll let anybody in it. You know what I mean? Well, here, here would be <laughs> my here would be my question to Gork. What what's your value add? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're saying let's bring them in. Let's right. Okay. So basically, what he's saying is, okay, we have an opportunity right now. Mm-hmm. Inner bikes should shit the bed. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we seize this opportunity? Right. I can tell you how you don't seize it right. by doing the exact same thing that you've done for the last what is it, 25 years? Mm-hmm. You got to do something more. Yeah, yeah. You can't compare BMX Grands to Sea Otter. Mm-hmm. Sea Otter is the, the largest North American bike festival in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they have disciplines, all the road disciplines, all the mountain bike disciplines. They have BMX at one time. It is a completely different animal. There's so many different segments of the cycling industry that go to Sea Otter and they create a festival atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? They're not trying to run. Uh, I mean, they do run a lot of races, and there's a lot of lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. They do a really, really good job of the processing of cattle. Like when you go to the ABA Grands, that's a, a, you know, there's three motos on the track at one time, mm-hmm. and they're just processing. They're just processing consumers, if you mm-hmm. will. It's just like, just you know, it's yeah, fast yeah. food. It's, in and out, in and It's out. fast food. And they're just, go oh, another moto, another moto, another mm-hmm. moto. That's why the tracks are the way they are. Less crashing. Another moto, another moto, another moto. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's fast food. Sea Otter has fast food as well. But they do a really, really good job of keeping that out mm-hmm. and the festival as the festival. Now, I have to be my own devil's advocate. I haven't been to the Grands for a while. 
Mm-hmm. The images and the pictures I see of the pit area, it looks way cooler than it used to be when I went. Right. So hats off to USA BMX for like stepping up and they had the best pit contest. I thought that was an awesome idea. Mm-hmm. Why you're incentivizing people to create a more professional and cool atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And creating culture. And that's always been my thing with it. And, and yeah, I say doing that is, 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 a, is a bonus. But yeah, the, the, the image, the, we, we, you know, for when, especially if, if somebody important or somebody outside that wants to come in and you know invest in BMX if they're walking through the pits and like okay this looks kind of this right. looks good you know where right. a lot of races it's it's you know it's not a good look walking through the pits you know right so you you're you're not going you here's the thing if USA BMX has tried to do this before they've tried to entertain freestyle they've tried to do all the different things right the the problem is i think for them is you, they're good at racing mm-hmm. that's what they do good they're the best at the world Best in the world at processing people through racing and creating the greatest race on earth. Mm-hmm. But you know when you go there, that's the focus. Right, yeah. So to think that you're going to all of a sudden create this cool inner bike yeah. trade show experience. Right. Yeah. That means USA BMX is going to have to bring in mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. And we all know mm-hmm. they don't like to perform no, no. anything out to other people. Man. Right. Yes. Yes. They, they like to do twice instead yeah. of too much work. They like to keep it in house. So, mm-hmm. uh, could it be? Yeah. I think that arena is really big. So could they create a cool thing? Yeah, they could. What's the feasibility of it? Highly doubtful, I think. I haven't seen it. Nothing shows me that they would be willing to step up on that type of a level mm-hmm. to bring something else like that in. And man, it's really hard, dude. They've, they got 700 and something, 730 motos this year? Yeah, yeah. 730 yeah. motos? Are you kidding that, me? That, the, 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 the expo pit area is, is pretty full already, you know? Right. So I don't, uh... so I don't know, man. I don't, but you're. Uh, you're already doing it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all the racers. But like like you said, I think you commented on a post. might have been the same post. It's all the same people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you're you're showcasing it to the same, yeah. It's all in that same it's incestuous like bubble. And it's going back to like Red Bull getting out there and getting fresh right. eyeballs on, on what we're doing, you know. And that's, right. I think, that's always been our problem, you know. It's exactly it, man. Um, can it be, do you think BMX racing could could ever be what it was? Or it's just like, it seems like every, or not every, but a majority, a lot of sports are, are struggling right now with kids on, you know, you have boys, so you know, you know, computers, phones, yeah. you know, uh, not uh, more, 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 more opportunities to do different things, you know? I don't, I don't ever see the local level getting to where it was ever, never, ever again. There's, um, there's. So many other activities that kids can do, like you said, and um, I mean, gosh, I mean, I remember local races in Orange Y that were they were over a hundred motos wow. on a Friday night. Wow! I mean, I can remember getting woke up at twelve thirty at night to go race my mains. Wow! We had quarters and semis That's at local great. races, man. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I don't ever see that level of regional racing getting to that level i just I, I like you said i think there's too many other things that are people are getting pulled in other directions um but i think there's potential for growth mm-hmm. i think it can i think it can get back to where it's uh i think it's i think it could get back more than it has now but i think it's going to take um I think it would take another entity, another sanctioning body, or it would take USA BMX, which they have—they're not incentivized to do this. 
right now because they're content. Mm -hmm. Until they become worried about their membership, Mm -hmm. they're not going to change. And why would they? Mm -hmm. If from a business standpoint, if you're running a business... Yeah, why change? Yeah, yeah. and make, make no mistake about it. We speak on passion, right? Because we're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And we want this thing to be done the right way. So, you know, I like like when Greg Hill talks, he's so passionate, dude. Mm-hmm. You can, like, his passion for the sport mm-hmm. comes through so strong. You're like, oh my gosh. Right, yeah, right? yeah. And that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. But USA BMX is a business. Mm-hmm. And they see it as a business. They're not incentivized right now to change anything because their model works. Their yeah. model is working yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. And until it doesn't work or until they have another competitor, they aren't going to change. No. I wouldn't. No. Why would I? Yeah. They, I mean, they got maths to feed some people with jobs and That's yeah, it. Yeah, they, so got... I don't I don't fault them. I think I think they would have to make some pretty big changes. I don't think it would be little changes and I think they would have to invest in some infrastructure um to do what Donnie's trying to do or mm-hmm. what Donnie is doing. Yeah. I think they would have to give Well, he's under their umbrella now anyway, you know. Right. The the beginner league, yeah. Right. So I think they need to do a lot of mm-hmm. outreach program stuff uh, along with creating heroes with their top pros so that people so that young kids can as- they aspire to be mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see I don't I don't know man it doesn't it doesn't feel the same when I'm at a local track. I don't feel I mean there's a few kids but it does it's not like when I was racing where everybody was like dude I want to be the pro guy. Right, yeah. I don't know I'm sure it was that way for you in the oh, UK. Oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we idolize you guys, you know. And I just don't see that now, no. man. The dude the pro guys raced at our local races. Mm-hmm. They raced local races. Pros raced. Yeah, no, that's not happening anymore. Dude, I, they they did, even when there's a Pro-Am or something nearby, the the, the, the top-tier guys, well, they're, they're training. They're not even there, you know? Correct. So, I don't yeah. see I don't see the pros. Mm. Dude, if I was a pro, man, I, I would love to be out at the local tracks mm-hmm. on my training day, mm-hmm. take 10 minutes out, mm-hmm. and just hang out at the finish line yeah, and yeah. talk with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Bring a bag of stickers. Yeah. Dude, it's not that hard. Yeah, and you get creative now as well with media and stuff, you know? It's so, not that hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah a bag of stickers, dude. Yeah. Well, that's even a question now. There's not many stickers going around anymore either, you know? Right. It's just different times, and yeah. uh, which is which is unfortunate. Um, could we learn anything from mountain biking? Like I say, we've already spoke about it, how, how things look pretty good right now with the Red Bull TV and some big guys making big money and stuff. Can we, as BMX Racing, learn anything from current current mountain biking? Well, again, when you when kind you, of lifestyle, what we yeah. spoke about, and when the, you, the characters, when you, yeah. When you look at the when you look at the Red Bull live feeds, right? They they do that on the live feeds. They have cutaways to mm-hmm. segments where they they've talked with the writers. I know, you know, a lot of times when we would get to events, this is in twenty fourteen. You know, the film crew would get to the event days before, mm-hmm. and they would pull our writers out, and they would do interviews, and mm-hmm. they would get sound bites, and they would get little pieces. For the the publication for right. the, for the or for the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember seeing some of that outdoor life. I remember they did a lot of the Norbus, right? Some of that stuff on tape, right? Um, um, what about you? Let's talk about some of your highlights of your career in both BMX and mountain biking. I know we did a lot. I guess a lot of people probably your podcast was probably a couple of years ago now. So yeah, yeah. Some of your BMX highlights. Um. 
Well, I think uh, I think I was I think I won nine nine national championships. Um, most of those were as an amateur. I won the NBL Pro title when I came back after two years of racing motorcycles. Uh, the year you won everything, right? Which was uh, eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah, eighty six was was I would say eighty six was probably the uh, the best year that I did. I won the um, the ABA amateur title. I won the MBL cruiser and twenty inch title for my age group, which was the sixteen year olds. Uh, I won world championships in Slough in the sixteen. I believe it was 16X and I think it was 16, 16 17 Cruiser. Yes, yes. And then um, and then USBA, which was another sanctioning body, uh, I won their amateur overall title as well. So, and then I think there was a Gold Cup in there too. Wow. But, uh, yeah. There was, and it was on Hutch, which was, you know, for the new school, it was just kind of the, the dream team of the, yeah. the 80s. You know, everybody wanted to ride for uh, probably Hutch more than anybody, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, it really was a... Um, it was a dream season, Dale. It really was, man. I, I was able to, uh, you know, the year before I was my first year of really, was kind of my breakout year. It was the year I won a, my first national, uh, and I was in the points hunt uh, to win the ABA title, and I choked really bad and <laughs> didn't make it out of my quarters. Um, but uh, Mike Miranda was always my hero as I was growing up, and Mike was on Hutch, and, you know, Mike came to my parents and and gave us an offer for me to be on the team and it was really hard because free agent was such a family that was a garage company that that grew uh you know Yvonne had real aspirations to grow her business and she did and uh, we were on the on the ground floor of that my mom stickered frames in her garage wow my mom answered the phone my mom did shipping for free agent in, wow. our, in the garage in Buena Park right you know uh a half mile from Knott's Berry Farm and um so we were a part of that initial team. Uh, so it was really hard to leave that. But man, Hutch, like you said, it was such a dream for every kid in America to ride for Hutch. And then you had Hollywood as the, the pro who was the pro that everybody wanted to be a part of, man. And and uh, so, yeah, man, we took the offer and um, Christmas classic right away, man. We were just, you know, headfirst into it and... Uh, you know, I did pretty good at the start of the season, but um, I really, really, really started hitting my stride in uh, late spring and early summer, man. Um, I just got the training bug. I really, really, like, grew up, I guess. I grew uh, as a person. I really was able to define what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I got really, really, really hungry, man, and all I did was ride my bike every day. That's all I did. I rode my bike, whether it was, you know, like we laugh. Uh, I talked with Mike Franzi about it. You know, I would ride my bike from my house in Lakewood to Fullerton, build jumps with Mike, ride the jumps, do my training, and then I would ride home. I mean, that was, I mean, it was like an hour and 40 minutes on my BMX bike. It was mm-hmm. like doing a road ride to the dirt jumps. And that's why you was probably so comfortable on a bike, weren't you? You know, and just adapt, like I said, the stuff we talked about earlier, um, adapt into a track, feeling comfortable, good style. Never, never seen you sketch out or, you know, just blow off a turn or just, you know, yeah. what you should see. So many, even top guys, just so many mistakes. Never saw you really make mistakes. So I'm sure you can put a lot of that just down to something that probably doesn't happen as much now, bike time. I just, yeah, you know? I, I rode my bike. Um, you know, I was, I posted on this the other day. I was riding with a guy and he, he ended up posting it up, our discussion. But 
I didn't. I put my license off. I didn't get my driver's license when I was sixteen. I put it off till I was seventeen because I wanted to keep riding my bike. Right. And I knew it was going to be a distraction to my goals. Yes. And the things I wanted to achieve. But, dude, I rode. I rode my bike everywhere, man. And I had all kinds of little things. There was a. I lived in Lakewood, so I, I rode on the San Gabriel Riverbed. So I would ride on the concrete embankment there. And then I had like three or four little practice. You call them pump tracks now. In the in the bushes along the San Gabriel Riverbed, and uh, I mean, I would do intervals. I had the city park that was across the street from my house, mm-hmm. and I would do like we at that time we had a lot of flat corners, right? So I would do intervals. There was a there was a it was crazy. There was a wooden bridge into the park, mm-hmm. and it was a tabletop. So I would always do intervals. I would sprint at the bridge, hit the tabletop, and then I would do laps right. around the concrete of the park mm-hmm. on the flat ground. That had the sand sprinkled on it. And it was super, super slick. Right. But I was able to get really comfortable on flat corners. Yeah, yeah, just building that base. And so I would ride there. Um, then obviously I'd ride to the tracks and then just general riding in front of my house and my neighborhood. But I just rode my bike everywhere, man. Mm-hmm. I'd wake up before school and ride my bike and then I'd come home and I'd ride my bike after school until it was dark. I couldn't see. And I just did that every day, man. I just loved my bike and I was super, super hungry and motivated and focused and so it was a, it was great that I was able to get with a company like Hutch that had a pro like Mike Miranda that mentored me and took me under his wing and taught me I was already self-motivated but Mike taught me how to also be um, a good even though I was an amateur a good professional a good person mm-hmm. that appreciated what he had and gave back and had time for the kids and made sure I didn't lose sight of having a good time while we were staying focused on our goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it all came to a head at the perfect time. And the result was um, a lot of titles, a, an amazing six month run when I was on Hutch that, dude, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't, I was, I was tough to beat. I mean, I was really tough to beat. I was fast. Absolutely. I mean, you spoke out numerous times before but Sly Wells just how you just blew just blowing by people you know just, I was really uh, relaxed Dale mm-hmm. I, I, because I knew I did the work mm-hmm. I knew I did the training yeah yeah I I was strong uh, I was physically strong but I was also headstrong because mm-hmm. you know as you know when you do all that work mm-hmm. it doesn't just build you physically it builds you mentally yeah you yeah you know you've done everything kicks in and so I would race so relaxed because I could see the panic in the other riders in front of me. I could see them struggling. I could see them fatiguing, even though it was a 35 or a 40 second race. I could see them fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit on and relax and pick my spot and make my passes. And you were so, I mean, you never, just, just watching them amateur races, you know, the footage I saw and, and when I saw you in person back then, um, you never had that killer first stray. That's why I was related to watching you because I felt a lot of the same. I just didn't have that... Right. Meathead power, not a bad first straight, but not. There's always three right. or four guys that were faster than you, and even like I say, Sly World is another one. And didn't look good. At, I mean, didn't look bad, but you weren't destroying anybody during those earlier rounds, or even in the mains, going in the first turn. You know, yeah. Just, uh, I was behind in both contention. mains. Yeah, I was behind in both mains, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if I won laps during the day really right uh, maybe in my motos today but... you see today's riders I mean the ones when I've been around you know those guys right. um, 
that really affects a lot of people if they're not getting that first straight and you hear it, oh, practice, I've had a bad practice, I've had a bit like, right. stuff you wouldn't, back then, you would, would just breeze right over your head, you know? It's like yeah. you need two good gates, semi-main, you That's know? It. And even if you didn't, you could you could make the magic happen. It seems like it's a different mentality now. Yeah, um, I always, well, I mean, you know, you, you talk with, I, I heard your podcast, I believe with Marys, where he talked about the Olympics, where he was having a bad mm-hmm. Olympics, yeah, until the semi, right, and then he realized, and then yeah. he realized, well, dude, all I got to do is win this one lap, yeah, yeah. But I always felt, I always felt, if I could position myself, if I could position myself in the top three when I come out of the first turn, mm-hmm. you know, there was usually three or four turns, and if I could get one person <laughs> per straightaway in turn, right, <laughs> that's a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was that was how I would do it. I would, right. You know, so if you if you go back and look at footage of me. It's rare. It's very rare that I would dive on the inside of a turn right. to make a pass. Because it's going to help down the road. Yeah, because there's no exit speed on that. Right. All of, almost all of my passing mm-hmm. came from um, setting up and either high-lowing right. and then coming out and moving over on the rider as we exit the turn mm-hmm. or building exit speed so that I pass speed. them on the straightaway yes. going into the next turn. A lot of people still don't get that. Yeah, which is uh, I know it's a little bit harder to do it. Like say we talked about the track speed and the right. the one line, but even then, I when you watch, you know, I I watch different riders in different positions and stuff. I'm like, wow, he really doesn't get it. Why is he diving on the inside of that turn and just it, all the, not, yeah. there's no there's nothing left. Okay, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. You, you pass the guy right now. You're, now you're in fourth. That's where you're staying. Yeah, 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 you're never gonna catch those three guys that are out front. So right. you know, it was I was really bummed when I saw uh, Bacardo. Right, for the amateur title. For the amateur title? Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly the guy's super fast and super powerful and super talented. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but I told my boys um, after I watched him in the, the NAG Challenge. He was in the NAG Challenge, was it? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if he was in the NAG Challenge, but I, I know when I watched him in his earlier rounds, mm-hmm. I was really surprised. I think he was in the NAG Challenge, but I, I was really surprised. And I told my oldest son, Ethan, I said, dude, I don't... I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off, man. He just doesn't seem like he's riding with that. Mm-hmm. And then in the main... Wheelies out the gate. Too. He, yeah. But he, he actually put himself with really smart riding in the first turn. He put himself in a really good spot. Yeah. And he was closing on the guy in front of him. Mm-hmm. And that guy, the guy who was winning, mm-hmm. took a horrible line going into the second turn. Mm-hmm. And all Picardo had to do mm-hmm. was just rail that turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and he would have... He would have blown by that guy like he was on jack stands. Yeah, 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 true. And uh, he would have he would have rode to the to the title, man. And yeah. I mean, you can't. Hey, dude, that kid was going for it, and he was trying to jump the triple and and mm-hmm. just blow past that guy. And he was, but you could see a, a sense of panic, right, in where he was. Yeah, yeah, Never and it was in that position probably ever before. Yeah, and it was know. frustrating to see because I, you know, I was rooting for him. I wanted to see him win. The race. Yeah, he's a good kid as well. Yeah, that's yeah, what I've heard. I met nice, him. At, yeah. I met him at Paris. Yeah, at the Gold Cup, I believe it was, mm-hmm. or the state race thing, and he seemed like a good kid. Yeah, man. no, he really is. Yeah, no. so I was rooting for him, and I was yeah. like, oh my god. I know the same. I think a lot of people was was was, yeah. was betting on him. You know, people people really like that guy. Yeah, but uh, hopefully, I'll have a t- another well, shot again. You know. He's he's the type of guy, right? Who has a personality? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you? I don't know. Do you follow on Instagram? He's a skateboarder, and my boys tell me about. Yeah, him. yeah, my yeah. My boys he's, love him. He raps. He does it all. Yeah. yeah, blue hair. Yeah, my boys love him. Yeah, that's the type of guy. Yes, I agree. Yes, that our sport needs more of. Yes, more Bacardos. <laughs> he is. He's a good kid. Right. Um, so who's? A, let's do amateur first. Who did you really like to beat in amateur? 
Ooh, Mike King for sure. Mike King? Yeah, without, without a hesitation, man. He was the first guy. And I was good friends with Mikey. Uh, I remember when he got picked up for Huffy. He was, we were actually at Devonshire Downs. And he was, we were talking about he got an offer from Redline. And he was discussing whether he wanted to take it or not. I was mm-hmm. like, dude, Redline's sick. And he's like, well, Huffy. And I remember talking with him. We were 14 years old. Um, but, man, I love to beat that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think the same way, man. Yeah, yeah, we, good rivalry. We wrecked each other right. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know... Um, you, know, you guys like, never had words then? Like, you never, never had tension? Not really. I mean, there were times when we would wreck each other where we would be both, like, a little bit not happy with each other. Right, but never fists. But we never... No, no. I think we had a mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, so we never really squared up, if you will. But, uh, yeah, I remember a race. We were in Texas, and this, the first turn, it was a first straightaway, and then it went into one of those... They called them Lone Star turns. So it was just like a hip roller. Mm-hmm. And then it went into a flat turn. The second turn on the track mm-hmm. was a flat 180. And, uh, man, everybody was just crashing into each other. And I beat Mikey out of the gate. And uh, he came he came around the outside of me, and he tried to pull one of those crazy Ronnie deals where, like, he would stick your he would stick his foot over your back tire and then kick your back right. tire out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he, he, and we have it on film. He kicks my back tire. Right. And so I slide out. But he's trying to go – he was trying to go around the outside of me. So I just – as I was falling, I just whipped my bike out in front of him. And, <laughs> and he goes over the bars. And I picked my bike up and qualified. Right. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, we did. We, there was a lot of uh, a lot of bumping, a lot of banging with Mikey, a lot of roughing each other up, and uh, you guys probably really, you know, elevated each other. You know, I, you're both similar kind of riders. Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I I can't speak for Mikey, but I know he he definitely brought my game up. Right. You know, and uh, but you know what, man? Like, you know, we we were rivals, but. Even when we turned pro, we were still rivals, but we still, you know, I would room with him at hotels and stuff, and mm-hmm. we'd share rental cars. I'd go down and stay at his house for a couple nights. We'd go down to Mexico and have a good time, so, um, yeah, but I, I love beating that guy. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, all right, then pro, so you, I, I, mean, I raced a little bit, and I was here in a pro, uh, so then you went, like, so 92, 93, you got back into it, yeah, and you took the uh, MBL number one plate in 93 so yeah. who was your maybe a big rival around that time then like, well that that year for the points for that year for the nbl title was uh me and charles were battling it out and Tanette was involved as well so we were we were battling but um it was di- you know it was different when i was when i turned pro it was a little bit different because there was just so many fast dudes mm-hmm. i didn't have a single person that i looked at as a rivalry and maybe that's because you know i wasn't I don't think I was ever looked at as the top guy. Like, I mean, there were a few weekends that I had where I was going the fastest. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think there was always a, there was always a Gary Ellis. Uh, there was always Veltman. You know, there was always some dudes that Mikey was there that just seemed to maybe have a little bit more um, expectation. I don't know what you call it. But they were, they were viewed as a little bit higher than I was as a pro. Right. And uh, so I didn't really have a rivalry in the pro class that I like could pinpoint one single person, um, that I loved to beat. Um, because it was just, man, it was, it was always such a mix, you know, with Mikey as an amateur, he was a top guy. I mm-hmm. mean, he was a top amateur guy and the magazines pushed that out there and, and made him the top guy. So he was a guy you would shoot for, but man, pro was so hard. And it was such a mix. I mean, an amateur, there was, a lot too. Our seventeen and over class 
and amateur was freaking gnarly, man. But Darwin Griffin, Darwin, Kenny May, Kenny May, Matt Hayden, Hayden, uh, was always in the mix. Cully was in the mix. Cully, yeah. Steve Dillard, uh, you know, Cecil Johns was in the mix. There was just, I mean, it was there were so many guys. Darwin, Darwin Griffin Darwin, never really translated to a double. Did he even make it double A? He's kind of gone by them, right? Yeah, I think he just he, he the sponsorship stuff. Was he a California dude? He was a California dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was so fast, man, and strong. But mm-hmm. um, uh, even though there was uh, that group, that I would call it that graduating class of the amateur group, mm-hmm. and a lot of us went on to a lot of really big things in the yeah. in the pro class. Yeah, Billy Griggs as well. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, Mikey always seemed to have this little... He was always put up on this little higher pedestal than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody really loved to... Beat him, beat Mikey and yeah. wreck him, and just, and you know what, man? He was a snake, dude. So like, you try to wreck him, and he'd pull out of it, and right. you'd just feel like dog shit because he got the better of you. So, um, but and that kind of went that rivalry went in, into mountain biking, really, with you guys, right? You it too? did, yeah, for sure, man. Especially when we got, I mean, slalom, we were heated, but we never, you know, when you race slalom, you didn't get to race against each other. Mm-hmm. But man, when we started doing four cross, right, with uh. Lopes. Lopes and Mikey. Oh. Who would you like? So, four cross and like Lopes, you wanted to beat probably Lopes. Is, Lopes, is, Lopes, yeah. Lopes was a way better. I mean, Lopes was a, a great BMX racer. Right. But he was a way better mountain biker. Why do you think that is? Um, well, to start in slalom, you didn't have to have a good start. Brian's gate starts weren't really. Right. When Brian was having good starts in BMX, he was really good. But when he had bad starts, right. he was really bad. Right. Brian couldn't come through the pack as good as some other guys. Right. Um, so in mountain bike, he started out in slalom. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty good. He was a really good downhill racer, but he was really a slalom specialist. Yeah. And he could get a bad start make and still up. make yeah. it up without being impeded. Nobody would cut him off. Mm-hmm. And then in four cross, he actually worked on his starts, and his starts got really, really good. Yeah. And. Uh, so he won a lot of races just because he had such a quick cadence and he had a really good start. He was then. coming out, let's like say, when you guys were all doing uh, slalom and uh, moving into four cross, when we, he was coming out to, when we were all double A, double A training uh, yeah. in early early two thousands, late late nineties. He was coming out to Orange a lot on his mountain bike. That's where you never really saw a guy on a mountain bike in right. the BMX track, but he was racking up right with all you know, Christoph, you know, Allier and everybody, you know, and, and yeah. obviously as you know, just as fast, you know. Yeah, he was he he really, really uh blossomed into mm-hmm. who he was as an athlete, I think, in the mountain bike world. And and uh so yeah, he would for me, he was a guy. Like I you know, I love beating Brian and the gated stuff, that that was my folks. It was always like, you know, uh, Cully was obviously a top guy. Yeah. Uh Mikey was a top guy, but really for me, the, the the main guy to beat was Brian, and so I always I always was really like ah. Boots came in and he was pretty fast as well, so he was a guy that kind of yeah. got in the mix a little bit later. But um, who else? Prokop. Prokop, yeah. Prokop, Prokop, really, really. When Prokop came to mountain bike, he did one year a couple of races when we were over in Europe, and then the next year he had a he had a double A gate, yeah, slingshot gate, yeah, and. We were all still '90s pros, right? right. <laughs> and '90s BMX pro gate, and, right? And we were just, you know, we would just get out of the gate and kind of mu- out muscle everybody, right? And dude, he just, he just yeah. tore us a new ass. Well, even in in double A at the same time, you know, he came out, he came and stayed with me a few times, and 
he was just making that transition from A pro to double A. And I remember he came to Phoenix with me and he's like, I'm like, well, you know, you're going to race A pro, make some money and go home. So I know I'm racing double A. I'm like, dude, race A pro. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 I, I want to race double A. And I remember Romero kind of said around that time, he was like, dude, what are you, what are you, why are you even racing double A? You're going to get smoked. Yeah. Anyway, he made those uh, two mains at Phoenix, which, you know, making mains at Phoenix is tough. Correct. And, uh, and that was it. He was on the, he, he worked it out straight away, you know? Yeah. And then like, I saw him translate that into you know racing you guys as well. Yeah, and, he, uh, yeah. He, he was he was gnarly, man. He's, mm-hmm. He he just. I mean, I bought a gate. I'm still sitting out in my backyard right now. <laughs> you wanna, we should I, go do some gates. <laughs> I bought a gate because that guy. Because my I did. I bought a gate. I was like, I went home and I remember thinking, <clears throat> right next year, there's no way I can get my ass handed to me <laughs> like this because. Uh, you know, he just, he clearly, I have to change my technique. And I never did get it. I never did get the start that he had. Right. But I did improve my starts. You had good form, though. Good yeah. one, two, three, you know? I, I got good enough to where I was close enough. Right. That I could, I could make do, I could make a move on him and shut him down before he got out and, and, and gone. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, man. Those... We, we spoke about, I think, the one of the other podcasts about your worlds. But, obviously, if you if you didn't listen to that podcast, you t- you know, you can give us a quick quick uh, highlight on that world's yeah. main, the way you passed him. Well, that, was the, that was the year after. Mm. That was the year after. And so, um, but, yeah, and I was close enough to get him on that one. And it was just, uh, so it was, an, it was, a, it was a, you know, 60,000 people or whatever on the side of the course. Crazy night. And uh, we're loading in into the gate and I had lane choice and he didn't, uh, and he, he, he got in lane three and he thought that I didn't realize I had lane choice the whole time I wanted lane four anyways, because mm-hmm. I didn't want him to cut me off because right. he had last lane choice. So I was going to give him lane three anyways, but he takes lane three and I just sat back and let him stew on whether I was going to notice it or not. Right. Cause I knew it would kind of disrupt him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I started in lane four and my whole, my whole premise and in practice I had, practiced this move and I did it one time and I realized it was going to work and I didn't do it until the finals. And I just, uh, I knew pro cop was going to come out of lane three and I knew, uh, Mikhail Del Deke was in lane one and he's in France mm-hmm. and he's not going to shut down. Right. And I was hoping those two guys would come together and give me some opportunity to pass them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rinderneck was in lane two and he was a wild card. I didn't know what would happen, but luckily out of the gate, pro cop gets out, cuts off Rinderneck before right. the first jump. So he has to break on the face. Yes. And then Del Deke and Prokop come together into the first turn, and they opened up that giant hole that I high load, and boom, and boom, that was world champion, man. But uh, and it worked out so good. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> just I'll, how I I'll planned. Probably post that. I know I posted it before, but it's worth posting that one again during this interview. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't. It was, it was rare that I beat Prokop out of the gate, man. I remember, I remember telling Steve Pete in Fort William, and I may have talked about this in the last podcast, but. We were in Fort William and he was beating us out of the gate and I had lane one because I qualified faster and I told I told Petey, I'm like, hey dude, I'm not going to hit my brakes. <laughs> and he was like, looked at me, I said, be ready because right. I'm not going to shut down. Right. And, and Prokop cut me off and right. dude, we exploded <laughs> in the first turn. And unfortunately, Petey didn't get out of the way and twisted his ankle. Minar rode by us. Right. And, 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 Is that the one that Greg Minar won? Yeah. Okay, I was there. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the funny thing about that is the next race we raced in Alpe d'Huez, 
And the same thing happened. Oh, I was there. That was a disaster for me. Oh I qualified God. fast. You were there, right? I did. Yeah, in your skin scoot, right? Uh, skin scoot. I probably was in my skin scoot right, yeah. because it was so stupid yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. But the first straightaway, the funny thing is, I had lane one and Prokop had lane three. Right. And again, he got a better start than me. And we're drag racing straight down the face of the ski run right. into the first turn. Mm. And he's moving over on me. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he sees me and he literally turns right <laughs> because he doesn't want to get blown up again. Right. <laughs> so I won the next World Cup because he was afraid because he knew right. I was going to wreck him again. <laughs> that, that course. I mean, it was very downhill, wasn't it? I got it there was. and looked at that and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here, man? Yeah. I went out first round. Yeah, well, I that was, was uh, Frank Roman's deal. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, oh, Frank Roman, yeah. Everybody was just yelling at oh him. Oh my God, I was so first, like I almost never rode mountain bike again after that weekend. It was yeah. a disaster for me. I think <laughs> wrong tires on and yeah, well, downhill you, and I'm all... You thought you were going BMXing. I know, I know. What, alright, let's finish finish it off because we'll, we'll do more because there's just so much great stuff to talk about. Um, best years financially, <sighs> BMX or mountain biking or both? Uh, for sure. Um, when I was on Mongoose, um, 2001 to 2008 were for sure the best years. Um, BMX, I didn't make that much money in BMX. Did you? So when you got MBL number one, it's probably the industry was kind of down then, right? It was down and I was coming back. It was my first year, Mm -hmm. my first year back from, uh, racing motorcycles and being a professional beer drinker. So I didn't. I didn't really have sponsors. Clay supported me. He gave me a race budget and I think, uh, you know, a travel budget. And then I think I had, I think I made $6,000 from him. Uh, and then... Uh, that was salary? That was my salary. Salary for the year. And then I think I had 150 bucks a month from Jive Handles. Right. And then... Uh, that good grips. Yeah. Skinny. Yeah. And then I think there was maybe like a... Bonus for the title? There was a shoe deal. I didn't have bonus for the title. I don't think. Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't making that much money, man. So it when really you got wasn't. that title, did that elevate anything or? Um. Yeah, I got paid. A, I got more money from all my sponsors, and I got a few more co-sponsors. Right. But uh, that same year, the '93, I was racing mountain bikes. That was my first year mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. So for '94, because I did well as in in my first year being or first year mountain bikes. Uh. I rode for Barracuda in 94. So I rode mountain bikes for Barracuda and I rode BMX for Hyper. And I think my Hyper pay was, I'm trying to think, because GT offered me that year, GT offered me, I think, 60 grand to mm-hmm. race both. And then I think I made 70 with Hyper and Barracuda combined. So you went for that so one. So I went yeah. with that one. And uh, it allowed me a little bit more flexibility. In hindsight, I should have gone with GT. Yeah. Me and Doug Martin laugh about that. He's like, dude, I tried to get you on my team for three times before right. I came Finally over. Uh, but uh, so I would say 94 was when I really started to make. I'm, I'm Actually, I, you know what? I made good money when I raced as an amateur on Schwinn. I made a lot of money. Like bonus wins per win? Yeah. I think, I think when I was on Schwinn, I think I made as an amateur, I think I made like. 50 grand for the year. Wow. And that'd been what, 80, 88, 89? Yeah, 88. When I was in, when I was a senior in high school, when I graduated high school, I had, I had over a hundred thousand in the bank. That's so good. Yeah. So, um, and that was just from amateur bonuses and amateur salaries and things like that. So, um, but definitely mountain bike GT were good years. 
Did you? Now you you came to G, it was was you PD and King on GT at the same time, or when you came in, King left? Uh, we were on the same. We were on the team together in '98. So all three of you guys. Yeah. And would you guys sit around the table and say, "How much you make? How no. much you make?" You guys well, never did that one. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I can I came in at a low. I came in low. So like in '90, that was '98, and in '97 I rode for Rotec. So '96 I was a privateer, and I spent. I think I spent most of that money I had saved up. Mm-hmm. From when I graduated high school, I think I spent sixty sixty something grand. Oh wow! Of my own money, and I won, dude. And I and I won. It was a payoff, then, yeah. yeah. I mean, it cost me sixty grand, even though I won the slalom title and I have bonuses. So you didn't even get that money back. I lost sixty grand. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah, I invested. I should say. Okay, I thought like you broke even. Yeah, but no, I, I invested sixty thousand dollars in my career. Yeah, yeah, and, but it paid off down the road. Though. But it yeah, paid yeah. off. Yeah. So. 97, I rode for Rotec. That was a six-figure deal. But they stopped paying me the last five months because they kept making bikes that broke. <laughs> and then, uh, um, so I basically went to Doug Martin in 98 and was like, dude, yeah, yeah. can I get that ride? You've been trying <laughs> yeah, to get yeah, me yeah, on? Yeah, and I'm he ready. Was, and he I'm was ready like, you know, he, <laughs> yeah. he, he did the, he crossed his right, arms. How about that one? He sat back <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. chair and like started laughing. Oh, right. Oh. And uh, so we worked out a deal, man. And I think uh, I think I signed on for like thirty six thousand or something. You know, wow. it wasn't a lot of money, but uh, it was decent. But it was it was uh, it had good bonuses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a, a pretty good year, and it gave me a, it gave me a raise up to like I think I was making sixty grand the next year, but uh, in ninety eight. But ninety I did, for then I signed a, another two year deal. For 99 and 2000. And that's when I was able to break. I got really, really... I got into like 100 and 140 grand from GT. Mm-hmm. And then Smith was doing like 15 grand. And, Smith, I And goggles. And Airwalk was... In, well, Airwalk wasn't involved then. But uh, um, who else was involved? There was a few companies that were involved in, in, in paying there. So it was... It, it started to get into like... Yeah. That's good money. Oh, well, oh yeah. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. that's, that's good money. And then the, the Mongoose thing was was even better, man. Mongoose was a was a good year. You know, Travis, you know, two, in, the, in 2000, uh, my last year on GT, I was flying. I, I got called in before the last World Cup by the team manager, Jeff Pierce. And he says, hey, man, <clears throat> you know, we just want to give you your offer for the year, for next year. You know, you're getting, you know, you're, you're 30. You're going to be 30. Uh, you're 30 now. You're gonna be 31. This is so we're gonna we're gonna reduce your pay. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get some new blood in here, but we still think you're valuable. Here's your offer, and it was a pretty big pay cut. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I just won championship for you. He's like, I know, but you know, we got to make plans for the future. Uh, I said, all right, you know. He's like, hey man, if you think you're worth more, I welcome you to try to go out and get more money. Right. And he, I took that as a challenge, and. Uh, Travis Chaprez had just got signed on at Mongoose, uh-huh. and he had Hyundai and Speedstick and Pizza Hut, and he basically committed to those guys that we would win titles. Right. So he actually called me and was like, "Hey, dude, I saw you won some titles this year. You think you can? You think you can win some more titles for us?" And I was like, yep. "Yeah, yep. absolutely. I'd, I'm. I'd love it." And uh, you know, so we talked about offers, and then we there was a, a component with the mass with a signature bike and everything, but that was like a that was a. 160 a year for three year deal, man. That's just base salary. Yeah. 160. Yeah. Wow. And then it was bonuses. I mean, the year we did a video game. I got a video game with Sony, and I designed courses and stuff like that for them. And 
Man, that year was like close to 300. Wow, so good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, but I tell you, I mean, you know, I know some people are going to look at this as bragging and stuff, but they were good years, man. Mm-hmm. And we were earning it. Like, we were, the way the Mongoose thing worked, so Travis gave me the, the ability. I could I could get all my own co-sponsors and he would pay me X, or he would get all the co-sponsors and he would pay me X. So you got the option. More. I had the option. Oh, cool. So I took more money from them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot, but it was less headache. Mm-hmm. And then they used me. To offset the cost. Yeah, yeah. Right? They sold me with co-sponsors. Yes. And they, they recouped their money back. Yeah, yeah. So huh. we all won. Mm-hmm. I delivered championships. I won at least one championship every year that I rode for Mongoose. Right. Um, it was great. It was a great relationship. They were getting their money back. So much coverage as well. There was Eurosport and then there was TV here yeah. and all the magazines, European. I mean, mountain bikes so big. Was, I mean, I would go through airports in Germany and France. I'm like, oh, three mountain bike magazines there and yeah. two in France. And yeah. There it was, was good. In every country. I and think. I was you know, I was not even close to the highest paid guy, man. There was guys... I mean, Lopes was making more money than me. Petey was making more money than me. Uh, I, there was a number of guys. I wasn't the highest paid dude. I was getting... But it was fantastic money, man. More money than a, than a little hood rat from Lakewood should have made on a right. bicycle. That's for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, but uh, I wish there... I wish... I wish there was more stories like that. I wish these guys... I mm-hmm. wish there was more money going around. I wish the money was deeper too. Mm-hmm. I wish it was deeper for both BMX and mountain bike for these guys to make some money, man. You you risk your life. Yeah. You literally risk your life. Well, on, on today's tracks, and maybe like say like you, you see a lot of people complaining now about the pro payout, but it's nothing that we haven't seen. You know, during your time and my time, as I say, it's like up and down, isn't it? You know, and hopefully some of these guys will catch. If hopefully there isn't going to be another wave, there'll be another right. wave, and them guys will still be able to. Um, make so, make a living. They can't make a living now. The, no. I mean, BMX pros can't make a living. There's two guys, I guess, that are, but mm. for maybe three. But for the most part, you can't really make a real living. No, no. Off BMX US based. I think yeah, you got two or three girls, and then you got yeah three or four guys, and that's it. Yeah. And then a couple the, unique people in different countries that make it work. For I I can tell you this, man. I was making good money, right? Like I made that 160. I made that 300 with all the Sony video game things and royalties on sales and all that kind of shit. I mean, I make good money. Mm-hmm. Dude, it, it is a drop in the bucket in the real world. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. It gets you over the hump a little bit. You yeah. get a few things paid off. Yeah, yeah. It's a good kickstart. But it's not... Dude, a BMX pro... If you're a BMX pro and you're making 60 grand mm-hmm. a year, that's good. That's good, right? Like, you're making decent money. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is... All of these years that you would normally be setting yourself into a company with a corporate job or a foundation or starting your own company that you're growing in, whatever the business may be, you're spending those formative years right. dedicated to the BMX world, mm-hmm. right? So then you then you get to a certain age. You got to start again. And then you get out and you have, you've just made your bills. Mm-hmm. You might have got a fancy car. Mm-hmm. But you don't have anything. You know how it is, dude. Mm. When you get that slap of reality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of A, how much it costs to really live. Yeah. Especially when you got kids. Yeah. Two, the slap of reality that you get when you're the man. Because everybody tells you, dude, you're the man. <laughs> you're the guy, man. <laughs> you're my bro. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you get, you know, like, yeah. dude, you know, your, your shoe sponsor. Right. Hey, dude, I'm going to send you some shoes. Right. Do your friends need any? Right. Yeah, dude. You give them the size yeah, of that yeah, shit. Yeah. 
and you are the man. Yeah, the bros disappear. Until you're, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, where it's, the bros go? Yeah, <laughs> until you're not the man. Right. And when you're not the man, you're right. really not the man. Right, right. It's like a fucking light switch. Excuse right. my language. And it shuts off, man. And that's a really, really hard thing to do, man. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's hard to dedicate your life as you see it. Your formative, your formative years of your life as an adult trying to be growing into uh, a job mm-hmm. and get to that realization because everybody tells you how awesome you are and how cool you are and how, dude. <laughs> and then you're, you know, you're 35 years old. For me, it was when I was 38. And the light, dude, the party's over. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have uh, an education to, to show for it. You don't have a business. You don't have uh, standing in a career. And, and, dude, I'm, and nope. unfortunately for these guys, it's going to be like, say, we, we, you, you say really at the highest level into your 40s. Um, and then you still have Fontana after that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but these was... guys like 30, they're already, you know, yeah. they're going to be tapped out. A lot of these guys even before that, you know. Right. So, so I, 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 you know, it's. I tell I tell Jason Richardson this all the time, and I tell my kids because when my oldest son aspires to be a BMX pro or even a mountain bike pro, I always tell him, "Dude, don't be me. Right. Be Jay Rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Balance school. Yeah, balance yeah. your school. Mm-hmm. Get something else, man. Use racing as a vehicle mm-hmm. to get something that can propel you past when they shut the party lights out, dude. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really, really a really, really hard thing to do, man. I think I honestly, I think. Part of the deal with Dave Mirror, we're getting into some heavy shit, but I think part of that deal is, man, the party lights got shut out. Yeah, yeah. And you're not the man anymore. And right. Dude, I know I went through some heavy depression mm-hmm. where I was like, dude, I can't even, you know, I call these guys that I was part of their, you know, I was part of the SRAM testing black box program. Right. I developed stuff that's still being used, forks, air suspension, and all kinds of stuff that, I mean, I was a part, I was... Part of the A group. Mm-hmm. Dude, I can't even call those guys to buy parts. Really? Yeah, I couldn't, can't even get a return call for a... For wow. A, and that part, those are the type of things that really go... Yeah, yeah, like what the hell? It, it's a, it's really depressing, dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody nobody tells you about that. Right. When you're a pro BMX. Yeah, yeah, you're not told. Or a mountain bike guy. They don't no. tell you, hey man, Yeah. it's going to be gnarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, here's your last check, see you later. And you don't make enough money. There's a few guys like... Petey's doing well with his money. I think Greg Menard's doing well with his money. They've invested it. Brian Lopes, I think, has done pretty good. I hear that Aaron's doing really good. I didn't, man. I didn't invest my money. Well, I, I was a jackass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought a motor home and some stupid shit. I have a few things, but not like I could have been. Mm-hmm. But even if I did, I didn't make the kind of money where I could be set for life. Yeah, no. I and I didn't plan for a job after. Right. And so it's been really hard, man. It's been hard to learn how to be a business guy. Mm-hmm. I'm so blessed and I'm so lucky to have a guy like Clay who is so loyal mm-hmm. and has a big appreciation for me staying in his parents' basement and stickering frames mm-hmm. and, and boxing and answering that he's given me the the, the room to grow mm-hmm. into a position at his company. Because, dude, that doesn't... That is a rare, rare thing that happens in our cycling industry. Yeah, and it's something that maybe needs to be spoke about more and maybe get more people to talk about that kind of stuff, you know? Because, like, say, yeah, it's very, I was lucky with me with Free Agent, you know? I kind of went from racing into a bit of mountain bike into team manager, so I prolonged it a little bit that way and right. I had to rely on to win. But, uh, yeah, but when the last few checks come, I mean, still even currently now, you know, I'm still hustling it. 
right? really, you know, uh, from 10 different people just to try and make it work, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's tough. And I'm a, I can talk, you know, and I've, I've got contacts and it's still really tough. But for that shy, you know, pro that maybe, um, yeah, retires and, and doesn't really, not, not a networker, but doesn't know anything else. It's, it's definitely super tough, you know. They, they, they got nothing. Yeah, so it's definitely something to yeah. to share those stories more and, and talk about that stuff, you know. Yeah, I wish I wish that was part of the 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 deal that people understood. I I, I tell, like I said, I tell my boys and mm-hmm. you know, even the local guys at my at my track. You know, I talk to. I mean, I you know Brandon Crane. I I talk to his dad sometimes, and mm-hmm. I tell him like, Brandon's awesome. Right, one of the baddest dudes I ever seen ride a bike. Man, yeah. he is an amazingly talented rider. Mm-hmm. Don't plan on this being his career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there's so many people, you know, I always look at California, so many people that were so good that around our generation, when I came here, people that right. so good that didn't even get to really get to that top level in pro, you know, just, yeah. just maybe not the right opportunity. I didn't know the right people could yeah. be on the right team. I don't think envious mm. is the right word, but, mm. but um, you know, like one of my closest friends is Glenn Pavlovsky. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we were amateur and he started going through the, um, the fire academy to be a fireman. Mm-hmm. His dad was a fireman, so he, he had always aspired to do that. And I remember thinking, like, what are you doing, man? Right, yeah, like, yeah. We're getting ready to turn pro. We're going to be pro BMXers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember, and I remember even going to his ceremony. Like, he had to, you know, he was missing races for the fire academy, and mm-hmm. then he had the ceremony and, you know, all that stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah. dude, he could be racing pro BMX. Yeah. And now, man, the joke's on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got, yeah, like he got a yeah, he's mm-hmm. got a solid job, man. Mm-hmm. You know, with good benefits and good health, and you know, and being a fireman, it's a gnarly job, no doubt about it. But like, mm-hmm. dude, he has good hours to where he has time with his kids. Yeah. And and I look back on what I did, and I'm like, right, I wouldn't change it. No, no, because. It has made me who I am. Yes, yes. But man, I took the hard road. Right. Well, like Jason, I remember Jason would always, you know, it always let you know, even back in the 90s, go to school, you know, I'd see any interviews, it always throw it into his little TV interviews yep. and magazine interviews. And I'd always like, okay, Jason, you know, and I'd always say to myself, like, okay, okay we get it, you go to school. Right. You know? <laughs> F that. Yeah. Uh, but now, yeah, look at Jason, you know. Yeah, he's, he's just, he, just uh, he, He's my model. Guy. Yeah. He, I really, Jay is, Jay mm-hmm. is my model that I point to. When any when I hear any youngster talking about being a pro bicycle rider, right, I say, hey, that's your role model. He should be utilized more. Like when I do even do my schools and my camps, like I'll, I'll I'd rather Jay, I bring Jason because I'd rather him talk than me, right? Because he's just yeah, he really can get through and is so professional. Absolutely, how he talks and his, with his message, but um, should definitely yeah, J- Jason should be definitely utilized more in within BMX you know alone. I think with Absolutely. his with his story and doing it. All right, Eric, that was. Uh, that was good. That was just another sixty-two minutes we knocked out. I know, I know. We did a good two two parts. I think we'll we'll, we'll keep these separate, but uh, yeah. we'll do more. I think you've done more podcasts than anybody because we've already done two or three. I've done three. I think we've done two. I think this will make it four. So four, yeah. So you got the record. I love them, dude. Yeah, yeah. I might have to turn you into a co-host. I like talking about stuff, and I, yeah, I'd love to. I that would be fun. I'm I'm down for co-hosting with some other guys. Yeah, no. I think that we've done it a few times, a few round tables. It's just getting everybody together, you know, because I think they're the the funniest ones where we could. Yes. Sit around a table with a bunch of dudes and just BS, you know. Well, that's what that's what that's the side of things that the people don't see behind the scenes, right? Because that's what that's what it was when you're being a pro mm-hmm. at the races was 
you know, all the, the Cracker Bill dinners. Yeah, and, that's the fun stuff, yeah. you know. It's not even about, yeah, it's not even about the racing. Most of the time, it's about the good stories and right. sharing the same passion with so many people, you know. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks, EC, and uh, we'll catch everybody next time. See ya. See ya.